Just going to read from God's Word from Colossians chapter 3 from verse 15. So it's Colossians chapter 3 from verse 15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that we are your people and that it is your desire to guide your people and to lead us into your will. We pray that you'll be with us now and help us to understand more clearly how you work in our lives to lead us, to fulfill your purposes for us. Lord, speak to us through your word. Lead and guide us now by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we began what's going to be a a short journey into what for so many of us are the the murky mysteries of God's will and, and God's guidance. And I hope that that we began to clear at least a a little bit of the fog away for some of you as we look then at the question, what is the will of God? What do we actually mean when we talk of the will of God? Well, today I want us to continue that process as we move on to look at the closely related and crucially important question, how do we find the will of God? Yes, for today I believe we're going to be able to begin, I believe I'm going to be able to begin to tell you how you can find the will of God for your life. Now having made that statement and been aware that it might cause some of you to to rise up in rapt attention, thinking about that, while others will maybe feel inside that you're shaking your heads in outright disbelief. Well, let me now make it clear just what I mean by what I said there. And what I certainly don't mean by it is that this morning I'm going to be able to gift wrap and deliver God's will for your life. So if you're expecting to to get a little envelope as you walk out of the door with your name on it and a God's will for you label stock on it, then forget about that right now. Forget about that. But what I do believe I can do this morning is point you in the direction of the, in a sense, the the spiritual map and compass that will enable you to find for yourself, in a continuous, ongoing way, God's will for you. Before we move on now, though, to look at, at particulars, let me just first outline for you the general direction that we're going to be going in this morning. And that is what we're not going to be looking, though some of you might expect us to be at things like prophecy, fleeces, dreams, visions, words of knowledge, 
Now this isn't because I'm afraid to, to deal with these kind of things. To the contrary, we're going to be looking at some of them, some of them at least in a, in a week or so from today under the title of con Controversial Issues in Guidance. But no, it's not that, and nor is it because I believe these things have no place in guidance. For I actually believe that all of them, biblically understood and biblically practiced, can have a, a part to play in guidance. My position, though, let me make it clear, is that I don't think that this is so substantial a place as many are today inclined to believe. Rather, I agree with the comment that, that Derek Tidball makes when he says, this is what he says, Christian biographies cause problems. I suppose you have to be somewhat exceptional to get your story into print, and that explains why, taken as a whole, they seem to give a quite distorted impression about how God guides, as they do about many other features of the Christian life. Reading these books, one might get the idea that unless you've had a visit from an angel, a vision of the house that you're going to live in in ten years hence, or have received a gift of prophecy, gift-wrapped, and address with your name on it, there is something wrong with you. Don't be misled. God can and does guide through angels, visions, and prophecies, and in other spectacular ways too. But they are not the usual means that he uses to guide his people. And, and Jim Packer, I think, very helpfully in a, a, a kind of brief, succinct way, statement of guidance, he kind of sums up, if you like, the guidance principle. And this is what Packer says, that we must learn to distinguish between the ordinary and the extraordinary, the constant and the occasional, between the rule and the exception. And that is what I want to begin to uncover and look at with you now. At the rule, the constant, the ordinary means, the bedrock, if you like, of how to find the will of God. And we're not going to be able to say everything. I don't want to make that clear. Things are going to have to be expanded a bit in, in weeks to come. But I will be able to, to begin at least to open some of these areas up. But where I'm going to begin today, begin that process, is by looking first of all at what I call the nearly but not quite approach to guidance. That is the approach that's nearly right, that's got so much good to say about guidance, but in the end, because it's not quite right, can lead to frustration in terms of, of finding God's will and can even potentially be dangerously misleading. But what am I talking about here? Well, the best I've heard this described is in terms of a a seemingly existent fishing harbour, so they say, in the far north of Scotland. And apparently, this little harbour is surrounded by rough waters and by dangerous rocks. And so to, to guide ships in, there are four lighthouses placed at strategic places around the coast. And what ships do, what they're supposed to do, is they, they get these four different lights in view... They line them up, they get in the centre of their beam, 
and they follow that course safely into harbour. Now, I want to say that's a lovely picturesque harbour, and it's said to a picturesque story, should I say, and it's said to apply to guidance in that the four harbour lights, if you like, for the Christian are said to be scripture, the advice of wise Christians, circumstances, that is largely open and closed doors, and finally, a sense of peace, a feeling right about a situation. Yes, so it said, line those four up, and if things seem to be right in those different four areas, then you can be sure that what you're thinking of doing, what you're doing, is God's will for you. So it sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds lovely, it sounds wonderful, except that I don't believe that it works. I don't believe that it is quite right. That it is 100% correct. Because you see that the problem here is that taking these things individually, then things are never in practice as simple as they seem in theory. And taking them all together on those maybe rare occasions when they do all seem to come together, well, never even then do I believe that they actually present the complete guidance picture. Something else is needed, even when they're all together. Never do they, never should they be allowed to say the final word about guidance. I mean, take them individually. Think about it first. Scripture. Well, of course, Scripture, God's Word, does play a key role in guidance. And certainly in regard to the big moral and spiritual questions of life, the Bible does speak in very clear-cut terms. So we don't have to spend too much time wondering whether we should lie, cheat, or steal, whether we should get involved in sexual immorality or indulge ourselves in drunkenness, or whether, to the contrary, we should set time aside to read our Bible and to pray. We don't have to spend too much time wondering about this because God's will, His moral will, God's guidance in these kind of areas is so very, very clear. Of course, especially when we're maybe young Christians, young in the faith, it might take us time to to track down God's will in, in some of these specific areas. We might need that help of wise, older, more experienced believers. And sometimes even some of us who might regard ourselves as older and more experienced, we might find ourselves being surprised by new truths. Truths that before were unnoticed that suddenly emerged so clearly to us from God's words. More often though, as we touched a little bit on last week. Our problem in these kind of areas of life isn't so much that we don't know God's will, isn't so much that we don't know what God's saying and how he's guiding, but rather our problem is that we choose to willfully disobey God, to ignore him. Is that not so? Of course it is. So anyway, God's word does play a major part in guidance as it speaks so clearly into those big moral and spiritual questions of life. 
Given us perhaps not always specific answers to the specific problem we have, but certainly given to us the big principles in life that we need to apply for ourselves so that we can work out our own answers. But there are many who would want to say that, that, that God's Word does have another role in guidance, in that it can speak directly and clearly into the private and personal areas of life. That it can give answers to problems, to predicaments that are actually peculiar to us, decisions that we have to make. And you know the kind of thing I'm, I'm talking about here? You know, I was having my quiet time this morning reading God's Word when suddenly a verse seemed to jump right out at me. And straight away I knew then at that moment exactly what God wanted me to do. Well, I want to say that I believe that that happens. I believe that God can and God does guide in this kind of way and I've experienced it personally. But at the same time, we have to take great care. Great care. Because it is so easy to read into the Bible what we want to read out of it. It's so easy too often to unwittingly twist and distort what the Bible's saying and to make it say what we want it to say. And this is a, a temptation that it's possible for any Christian to fall into. I remember on one occasion I was in a, a church in London. I was actually a student pastor there and I heard the Scottish pastor tell the, the congregation that some years previously that he'd actually accepted their call to ministry because that particular day in his daily readings he'd come across the text, Abraham journeyed south. It's true, that's a fact. That's a fact. And although there'd been in his earlier ministry great blessing there in London, yet I actually knew that by this time more than a few of them were wishing that it would go on and say that Abraham then journeyed to Siberia. (laughs) And ultimately, that ministry tragically finished in disaster and the membership I know now is about a quarter of what it was when he first went there. So what I would say to you then is that if you're going to use the Bible in this kind of way and it's right to use it in this kind of way for very personal guidance then please do at least two things. First, beware of what I would call the promise box mentality. That is, beware of ripping verses out of their context and making them say what you want them to say. Rather, read the passage that the verse is set in. In fact, read the book that it's a part of. Try to understand what it's actually saying and seek help if you need to, to find out what this verse was originally intended to say. And then, please make sure that there is at least some harmony between that and what you're claiming that it's now saying to you. Second, I would advise you not to make this kind of reading of the Bible the only or even the clinching issue, if you like, the clinching factor in any major guidance issue. This might be, probably, well, should be, a contributive factor in guidance, but personally, I would want a lot more to go on. I'd want a number of other 
different factors playing in. I'd want some basic foundations right in my life before I would use God's word to make any big guidance decision. So you see then, our first harbour light, the Bible, Scripture, God's word, doesn't perhaps always shine as brightly as we'd like it to. At times it does shine with unmistakable brilliance, usually into those big moral lifestyle areas, behaviour issues of Christian conduct. But at other times, as regards private, personal directions, there are other times when that light does seem to flicker and fade. But what about our second harbour light, the advice of wise Christian counsellors? Well, Proverbs 15.22 puts it as clearly as we could possibly want. It says there, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So, okay then, that's it then. All we've got to do when we're faced with a big decision is go to two or three wise Christian friends, ask their advice, and then that's it. We'll have the will of God for us. Now sometimes, certainly, that is so. That is true. But not when, as many of us found, those two or three wise counsellors give you different, even at times, totally opposite and contradictory advice. What do you do with that? So again, you see, this too is a harbour light that at times can burn brightly, but that at other times can flicker away in a most deceiving and concerning way. And here, incidentally, the, the practical advice I would want to give here is first, you know, make sure that your advisors are wise. Might be hard to find them, but try your very hardest. That is, make sure that these are people who will seek to find God's mind and will not succumb to saying what you want to hear. Second, have a few advisors. Have many, but make sure that they're not too many. You see, you need a few to get well-rounded advice. You need a few to get the benefit you should from a wealth of wisdom and experience. But if you have too many, then it won't be the advice that it will be rounded. It will be you because you'll be going round and round in circles. Thirdly, having taken advice, we should make a decision. God calls us to make decisions and then not be moved from that decision unless significant new information comes our way. Finally, and to to fine-tune all that I've, I've just said here. In all of this, we've really got to know ourselves. And we've got to face up to ourselves, to who we are and what our motives actually are. If we're confident, decisive people, maybe, to be honest, inclined to be a bit sure of ourselves and our own opinions, then if we're a person like that, it would be good for us to listen more to the insights of others, to have a fair number of advisors. 
But if we're nervous, hesitant, indecisive by nature, then the opposite is the case. In fact, the temptation for somebody like that would be to ask lots of people and to secretly welcome confusing advice because at least that gives us the, 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 the right and the excuse not to make a decision, which we don't want to do. Well, our third harbour light is that of circumstances, those famous open and closed doors. And again, there would seem to be clear biblical warrant for this. For clearly the phrase open door is there in the Bible, a number of places. For example, in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9, Paul says of his work in Ephesus at that time, but I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened for me. And we find this also in, in other places like 2 Corinthians 2.12, Colossians 4.3, Romans 3 verse 8. And every time it refers to an opportunity that God has provided and that God expects his servants to seize with both hands. So that's great. And it is biblical. Open and closed doors. And sometimes, of course, it is very clear Guidance in this kind of way is just so very, very clear and straightforward. But what about those times when there's more than one open door? Which one do we choose? And just because a door opens, just because an opportunity presents itself, does that always necessarily mean that that's right? Should we always just snatch it up? Immediately, I remember listening to somebody preaching at Keswick one time, talking about a call to ministry where everything had seemed to fall into place, but he just sensed God wasn't asking him to do it. And he said he looks back now and he sees that that was the, the devil's lure for him. Might God have something better for us if we wait? And closed doors, they can present problems as well. I mean, is that closed door, is that God's definite no? Or is that closed door actually just God's way of testing us for a particularly demanding and yet also unbelievably rewarding sphere of service? I mean, just think of the famous Gladys Aylward. You know, nobody has ever, ever experienced closed doors like that woman. Sensing deep within herself God's call to China and yet being turned down by missionary society after missionary society because of her supposed lack of education. Basically, snobbery. But she knew. She knew that God was calling her. And so for years, working away as a humble chambermaid, she saved up her money year after year until eventually she had her fare, which was no mean feat, going to China in 1932. But when she got there, what a work God then did through this humble, godly, determined woman. Determined woman. You see... Her closed doors, they weren't God's no to her. Rather, they were God's way of refining her, building her up, testing her faith for the enormous but demanding task that lay before her. Well, our fourth and final harbour light is peace. Feeling right about a certain course of action, about a certain decision 
that we've made. Now, this is such a prevalent form of guidance, I think, in today's church, that it's come to be seen as the traditional, the accepted form of guidance. And certainly for many people, it is the clinching factor. Never mind having all the other harbour lights, as long as we can say, I feel this is the way the Lord is leading me. I've got a peace about this. I feel good and right about this. As long as we can say that, then we're convinced that what we are doing is God's will. Well, you know, it might interest you to know that although this today is the, the accepted form of guidance in the sense that it's the most widely practiced, yet that historically, that this is not the case. Christians of earlier generations just did not seem to put such stress on their feelings, on a sense of peace in issues of guidance. So who's right and who's wrong? Have we today discovered maybe a guidance truth that has lain unnoticed, undiscovered for centuries? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. And one of the most often quoted verses in this context is Colossians 3.15, or at least a text taken from it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Now you see, it's argued from, from this verse that we must be in the will of God if we are at peace. Because that it said, it says there is what we're called to. And indeed, it's sometimes even point out, pointed out that an alternative translation for rule here is, is umpire. So then it, that it's got particular reference then to making decisions and choosing between alternatives that are difficult. At the end of it all then, as a, as a result of this verse, it's then claimed that all we have to do when we're faced with difficult decisions, difficult issues of guidance in our lives, all we've got to do is just go for the option that gives us peace. But you see, this is actually an example of what I warned you about earlier. This is an example of a verse torn out of its context and made to say what men would like it to say rather than allowing it to speak for itself. You see, as you look at it in its context, this verse isn't about peace in our hearts. No, this verse is about peace within the church. This verse is about peace in the relationships between believers. Look at the context it's set in verse 13, verse 18 on. But even more, if you look wider than this, as you look at significant Bible passages and characters, you soon see that peace, in the sense of feeling good about something, is rarely, I don't, matter of fact, I don't think it is ever, a major factor in guidance. I'll ask you, did Moses feel at peace? Did he feel relaxed and happy about going back to Egypt to set the Israelites free? Did Jeremiah feel at peace about the prophetic ministry he was called to? And most importantly of all, did Jesus feel at peace as he sweated blood in Gethsemane before going to the cross? 
They didn't feel at peace. But in what they were doing, they were all absolutely right in the center of God's will. Now, now of course, just to kind of balance this, of course, there are times when, for us, in doing God's will, following God's guidance, when we will feel happy. Of course we will. We'll feel contented and fulfilled. We'll feel at peace as this world understands it. And of course, even in in life's toughest times, when things are hard, when we're lonely and afraid, even then, there's a peace we can know. But as Jesus tells us, it's not peace as this world knows. It's not the peace of feeling good. No, rather, it's the peace of God. It's that peace then that comes from knowing that no matter how we may feel in this world, then our lives, our destinies, our futures are ultimately held safe in the hands of a Father God. But you see, to make feel-good peace, this world's peace, the major, even a a major criteria in guidance. I tell you, that is a symptom, an example of our self-centered Feelings dominated, me first age. And it is not right. It is not biblical. And while this will often only lead us into living lives of mediocrity as Christians, yet at other times, when we follow our own desires and inclinations, which is often what this actually boils down to, well, this will lead some of us into a spiritual wilderness And it can lead us into situations of heartbreak and even of danger. So, after all of this, how do we find the will of God for our lives? That's what I promised I would share with you today. Well, not primarily by spectacular means. Not that way. No, for as he said at the very beginning, though God does at times guide through the spectacular, that's not his normal method of working. We'd like it to be that way. We'd like God to make it clear to us in that way. But it's not always. That's not his normal way. And nor does God, I believe, guide through a formula. It's not a formula, be it the four harbour lights or anything else. Because while all of these things we've looked at this morning do have a part to play in guidance, I'm definitely not writing them off, yet neither individually nor collectively, even if you can manage to get them all lined up, do they tell the full guidance story. Again, I think we'd like it to be that way, because you see, if it's that way, then we feel a degree of control. We can work it out and that feeds our human pride, that that suits the inclination of our our arrogant self-centered wills. But do you want to know how we find the will of God? How we can use all these things properly? I'll tell you how we find it. We find it in the context of relationship. You see, it's by getting to know God It's by being obedient to God, by being submissive to God. It's by coming day by day, reading his word, seeking his mind, asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? In all these areas, 
on a day-by-day basis, as we do that, that we develop then the kind of Christian mind, the kind of Christian outlook, the kind of Christian maturity that will then enable us to use and to assess all the other guidance information that comes our way. You know, through the Bible, through counselors, through circumstances, through our feelings, in whatever way, it's that Christian mind, that Christian heart. Now that's not dramatic, and it's not spectacular. It involves hard work. It involves discipline. It involves application. It involves perseverance. And so, it's maybe not what we would at times like to hear. But it is, I believe, God's way that he guides his people. And next week what I want to do is try and expand on that a little with you. Let's just come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just want to thank you that that you're a God who's all about relationship. The Trinity reveals that that's the essence of your nature. The way that Jesus walked with his disciples demonstrates that further. And Lord, that's the truth of your word. That the bedrock for all guidance of being led into your will is about an ongoing relationship with you where we're in right relationship. Where we're seeking you, where we're obedient to you, ready to submit to you ready to follow you wherever you go. And just as we build that kind of heart and mind, that then everything else, the spectacular, visions, miracles, your word, counselors, or all the different ways in which you guide, it's then that we can use all these things to be led into your will. But help us to be a people who have a heart that's set on you, who are in right relationship with you, that we might be then led into your will for our lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.